0: You're listening to the LRB Podcast, and I'm your host, Adam Schatz. My guest on this week's episode is a man I've known and admired for nearly two decades, the writer and lawyer Raja Shahadeh, who's joining us from Ramallah in Palestine. Raja founded the Palestinian human rights organization Al haq in 1979, and he's the author of numerous memoirs about life under occupation, including Strangers in the House, Palestinian walks, and going home. His latest book, We Could Have Been Friends, My Father and I, which has just been published by Profile Books, is among his most powerful. It's a reflection on the political and emotional consequences of the Nakba, and on the place of law in the Palestinian struggle for freedom and independence. But it's also a story about Shahada's own family, and the most moving book about the bonds between fathers and sons that I've read since Philip Roth's Patrimony. Raja, thank you for joining us on the LRB podcast. It's a pleasure, Adam. Raja, this was obviously a very difficult, emotionally taxing book uh, to write, and uh, for understandable reasons, it's a book you couldn't face writing for some time. Your, Your father, the lawyer Aziz Shahada, a man who had been active in defending Palestinian rights since the 1930s, uh, was murdered in 1985 by a man who was later revealed to have been an Israeli collaborator. Uh, By then, you were also a lawyer, but your relations with your father had been troubled, and when your mother gave you a cabinet of his files, you, you weren't inclined at first to look at them. When when did you finally summon the will to open those files and what moved you to do so?
1: Well, Adam, I have been aware in the last year of my father's life that he was uh, working on putting his papers in order. And he was a very meticulous man and a man of detail. And he put them all in in order in different files and indexed and everything was uh, ready. And I thought he was preparing to write a memoir, his own memoir. But he died and he didn't write a memoir. So I was sure I wanted to make sure that these documents would be preserved uh, and uh, kept in, 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 a, in a filing cabinet, which which I did at my mother's. And then years later, my mother said, I'm tired of having these papers. Why don't you take them over to your house? I took them over and put them in my study in a special cabinet, but did not want to look at them because I had... I thought I had had enough of uh, looking into my father's affairs and I had written uh, Strangers in the House, which was a book that I explored the relationship with my father and I thought I had done with that and I didn't want to go into it again. But then uh, somebody gave me a telephone directory of Jaffa and Tel Aviv in which my father's name and my grandfather's, uh, Salim was was there. And it somehow evoked... The fact that there was life in Jaffa for the Palestinians, which I have not written about. And so it began, I began thinking about that. And then I was also given a copy of the book, a small booklet called ABC of the Arab Case of Palestine, which was found by uh, the archaeologist in the British Museum, Mahmoud al who found it in a secondhand bookshop in, in, across the street from the British Museum.
0: And that, that was a book that your father published in 1936 when he was 24 years old, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yes, it was in 1936 that he wrote it. And and it was so carefully written and so well written. And I was very impressed by it. And then I thought, maybe I should look into these papers and see what there is there. And I started opening them and found a treasure of, of amazing treasures of different subjects that my father had been involved in. And cases that he has been involved in, and so I began taking it seriously and thinking of writing about it, and that's how it started. It was in during the COVID uh, 2019 that I started. Uh,
0: when I read about how you came to uh, research your father's life and the and this revelation that you experienced uh, when you saw that uh, Jaffa Tel Aviv uh, uh, telephone book. I kept thinking about a famous remark by uh, the Czech novelist uh, Milan Kundera that the uh, struggle of people against, uh, against power is the struggle of memory against forgetting.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And then in the course of writing the book, I came to experience what my father experienced and realized that my experiences and his are so similar. So, for example, after he left, uh, was forced out of Jaffa, He stayed in Ramallah and and he must have witnessed the changes in Ramallah and making it Jordanian. And uh, and I realized that it was similar to what I was experiencing also during the occupation of changing the landscape and turning it into Israeli, from from Palestinian to Israeli. So I thought my experience and his are so similar in, in the transformation of the landscape in both cases.
0: And what's striking, of course, is that even as you sought to separate yourself from your father to define yourself as an individual in some ways against him, you ended up in many ways resembling him.
1: Absolutely. And and, and the discovery of that was, was very important and very uh, uh, great development in our relationship because I had realized that. We had similar experiences and we had reacted to similar experiences in a similar way and had used the law as a weapon for fighting Israel and fighting the changes that, that were occurring. And, and that was something that I had not realized at all in, in, in the past. And, and interestingly enough, my father did not reveal to me or, or comment on, on the similarities between us. So, so we lived in parallel lives, so to speak, each doing his work and not uh, uh, communicating with others about that work and and uh, trying to find similarities in, in our approaches and uh, uh, learning from each other. I found that most amazing that I didn't uh, discover this in the past until years and years later after his death.
0: Could you tell us first a little bit about who Aziz Shahada was? I mean, you mentioned that he was born in Bethlehem in 1912. He grew up in Jerusalem. He suffered some terrible losses when he was young. I think he lost his mother when he was three years old.
1: Yeah, I, I went through his life and tried to feel what he must have felt during the different tragedies that he 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 fell upon. So the first one was indeed losing his mother when he was three years old. and And that was something that he uh, repeated often. He said, I grew up without a mother. And it was very painful for him to uh, to experience that. And then he uh, had many diff- difficult experiences in the course of his life with every time he achieved something, won a case, uh, made a progress in, in, in his efforts to uh, fight for justice. He was rebuffed and accused of treason and and uh, given a hard time. So uh, he worked for many years on the case of the return of the refugees and uh, he, at the end was accused of uh, collaborating with Israel on that. He, he he worked on the blocked account case and released the funds that were blocked in, in the Israeli banks. And rather than get reward for that, he was accused of uh, t- uh, treason again. And so uh, his life was all full of tragedies and unrequited uh, love.
0: Uh, Raja, can you just explain what the blocked accounts case was?
1: Well, uh, after uh, the mandate was withdrawn, the currency board, the Palestine Currency Board, uh, stopped issuing the Palestinian currency, which was convertible at the time for one Palestinian pound for one pound sterling. And so uh, after... They stopped issuing the currency. All the uh, Palestinian pounds became worthless. And then Israel decided that uh, all the accounts that the Palestinians held in uh, branches of banks in Israel, of the Arab Bank and Barclays Bank in Israel, uh, would be uh, frozen. And nobody can withdraw, none of the Palestinians who are outside can withdraw any of these accounts. And so uh, the Palestinians were uh, made even more wretched and more uh, impoverished because they couldn't get hold of the money that they had held in the banks. And, and so the case of the blocked accounts was for, uh, that my father took was to take a case in Jordan to unblock these accounts and force the banks to uh, pay the money out to the Palestinians. And he succeeded in that.
0: I mean, this is a story of, of a man of, of kind of quiet and very determined uh, heroism who found himself up against these larger forces, Israeli, obviously, but also Jordanian and, and the PLO after the occupation. Now, your father published the book, The ABC of the Arab Case in Palestine, which you mentioned earlier in 1936. What, what did he write in that, in that book, Raja? What was the, what was the argument of the book?
1: Well, he started by analyzing the terms of the uh, mandate, and he found that uh, there are possibilities in the terms of the mandate for the Palestinians to have used some positive aspects for their inter- their own interests. And then he found also that uh, the British government was uh, had five masters, he said, which it tried to please at the same time. The Arabs and the Jews and the colonial office and the permanent mandate commission and the questioning members of the British House of uh, Parliament. And he said, trying to come to terms with uh, all these masters may prove to be... uh, It has no heart or will of its own at the end.
0: And when he he published this book in 1936, there was uh, a popular uh, Palestinian revolt against the British. And if I'm not mistaken, your father... Had begun to represent Palestinian rebels, and he would go to meet with them in the orange groves or the orange orchards um, after dark.
1: Yeah, uh, it was it was very dangerous at that time to to meet with the rebels, and he could have uh, been charged with a uh, serious offense sedition. But he he went. He, he used to tell me that he went through in the dark in, into the or, or, or orange orchards and. Uh, and ended up uh, meeting with them and discussing the cases and uh, uh, fighting their case for free this was his be- which, this was how he began his uh, legal career he
0: he married rather late and uh, because he was so focused on his political activities and um uh your mother uh, Widad was from a fairly prominent family what
1: was their relationship like Raja uh, he admired my my mother and he uh, thought and, and she was a very beautiful woman, and he uh, felt that he needed to take care of her as best as he could and, and provide for her to the same standard that he, she had been provided for at her father's house. And this, I think, was an obsession for him. So after the Nakbe, he realized that uh, he, he couldn't keep up these standards and, and felt uh, so distressed by this and, and couldn't imagine that they wouldn't be able to go back to their life that they had led in, in Jaffa. And so it was uh, one of the most distressing aspects of his uh, life that he couldn't provide for my mother the same way as, as she had. You know, after the Nakbay they came back to Ramallah. They came to Ramallah and lived in a small house and all crammed up. We were all crammed up in, in that small house. And uh, they uh, couldn't get back their clothes. They couldn't get back their furniture. They couldn't get back. He couldn't get back his office. And he was struggling at, at all aspects of his Life uh, had been shattered.
0: Now, your 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 sister was born before the Nakba, and so uh, your parents left. They left in the spring of 1948. Um, right. and settled in settled in Ramallah. And your your father appears to have understood uh, very early on that Jordan would not be a trustworthy ally of the Palestinians in their efforts to achieve independence.
1: Yes, he was not fully aware of the negotiations that had taken place in 1947 between Jordan and, and uh, Transjordan at that time and, and Britain, but he suspected that Jordan would not be uh, in favor of Palestinian autonomy and Palestinian statehood and Palestinian rights, and so he didn't suspect exactly that they would not uh, that they would not allow for the Palestinians to return, but he had reason to to believe that because every time he made an effort to to get people to return uh, as, as they did in in the spring of uh, 48 the the glob pasha who was the head of the Jordanian legion came and arrested the leaders of the movement to uh, bring people to go back to Jaffa and so he had reason to believe that uh, Jordan would not be allowing them to to return and then when he prepared the case for the uh, return, with the uh, and and made submissions for the UN uh, concilia- Conciliation Commission, he uh, when he left to uh, Beirut to uh, appear before the commission, he, he received word that the uh, Jordanian uh, authorities had closed the offices of the uh, com- Commission, the Refugee Council in in uh, in uh, Ramallah, and so uh, there was reason to believe that. Uh, they were not happy with him uh, fighting for the return of the refugees.
0: He was generally quite scathing towards um, Arab leaders. He described them as barking dogs who feed on the skeletons and skulls of the refugees.
1: Yes, uh, he he realized, although he didn't know fully the story of the betrayal of the uh, Arab leaders, he realized that they were uh, trying their best not to, uh, allow the Palestinians to act on their own, and uh, and that anyone who spoke would be bought over in order to be silenced. And and he so, exactly he described the Arab leaders as barking dogs, feeding on the skeletons of the Palestinians.
0: You know, your 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 book is very much a work of historical reflection, particularly on this this little known period of of, of Palestinian activism in the late forties, just after the Nakba, when. Uh, Nearly a million Palestinians had been driven from their lands and their assets had been frozen by the uh, Israeli authorities. Uh, Your father, Aziz Shahada, helped create a group that that you've mentioned, uh, this Ramallah Refugee Congress, which uh, defended the rights of refugees to return to their homes. And and you write, what struck me as I read these documents was the clarity, lucidity and precision uh, of the drafting can you can you tell tell us a little more about the nature of activities? What was the Ramallah Refugee Congress doing precisely?
1: They uh, had uh, delegates from all over the Palestinian diaspora of the refugees. There were 800 delegates meeting in Ramallah at one point and then they continued to uh, add the numbers to uh, of refugees from all over uh, the the region. And they uh, uh, felt that the conciliation the UN conciliation commission had to uh, hear representations from the from the palestinian refugees themselves so they formed a, a, a group which my father was the secretary of to to go and attend the meetings of the commission wherever they, they, they take place so they went to beirut for, for the first time and then they went to Lausanne. and uh, they they uh, tried to present the case of the palestinian a refugee case before the commission, and of course in in Busan, uh the uh, they were not allowed to to speak because they every the other uh, groups said you are not a state and we only speak to states, and so they were not even allowed to take part in the uh, negotiations in the, in the discussions.
0: You quote an Israeli minister, Eliyahu Sassoon who said to your father um, in Lausanne, don't speak to me of justice, law, or rights. It is power that determines the destiny of nations.
1: Yes, this is what he exactly had said. And then later on, he seems to have regretted it because he wrote an article uh, in the Israeli papers and he said we had made a mistake by not giving voice to the Palestinians because the Palestinians are the key to the case and we must not repeat the same mistake. Now, whether he was genuine in, in in this or not, I don't know. But he actually did write something like this in in after sixty seven.
0: Um, your father, during this period in the late forties uh, or early nineteen fifties, when he was involved in efforts at obtaining a measure of justice for the refugees, he lived abroad mostly. He lived abroad for about two years. He was in London. He was in Rome. He was in Beirut, and. When he was in London, he forged an alliance of sorts with a labor MP, Edith Summerskill. Now, Edith Summerskill had expressed an awareness that was unusual for its time of the claims uh, of the refugees. Can you tell us a bit about um, his conversations with Summerskill?
1: Yes. uh, My father had gone to uh, London to pursue the case, the negotiations over the blocked accounts. And when while he was abroad, he read a letter in the Times of this summer school, uh, and she, in which she expressed the uh, feeling that uh, the Palestinians were uh, having uh, were not given their, their justice. And he wrote to her, and he said, "I think you have done uh, you have put your finger on the right uh, matter." And they met, and she uh, told him uh, so she suggested to him that he draft a memorandum to the parliament, uh, British parliament, explaining the case of the Palestinians and the fact that uh, the uh, activities of this British general, Gdob Pasha, which was uh, very destructive in the West Bank. And so he did. And as a result of that, I think, he was not allowed to go back to, uh, to Ramallah. And an order for his arrest was put at all the entry points uh, that as soon as he re- returns, he would be arrested. And he re- stayed outside for almost three years, trying to revoke that order. And that was why he was outside. And he was short of money, and he was in great difficulties. And we were in great difficulties at home, because we or- were also short of money. But he couldn't return until that order was uh, revoked.
0: You, I mean, you were born in 1951, and you experienced this... Um... Period of uh, your father's forced absence. It's clear uh, from your book that your your mother suffered terribly from this absence, and that she feared uh, for your father's safety. But there's also a suggestion that the roots of your own anger at your father lay in these feelings of abandonment by him during this period.
1: Yeah, so many things that I discovered in the course of writing the book because I was trying to put myself. In my father's place, and 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 try and imagine the relationship between us at that point. And what I risco- discovered is that after he left, we went to Beirut to see him, and I re- realized that I do not remember at all, uh, even though I was a few years old already. Uh, that uh, no more than a few years old, I was uh, six or seven years old, and I don't remember at all the moment when we. Met my, when I met my father for the first time after an absence of a year or, or, or more. And that made me really think how strange that I would not have remembered. And I don't remember him coming and, and embracing me or anything of that sort. And then also I remember that after he was taken into jail in, in the desert jail, in Fajr, uh, I, I uh, don't remember his return and I don't remember how uh, how how we met after he after he was absent for for a number of months and then i also realized that i never asked him to tell me about his experiences of his to describe to me how he felt when he was abroad and the experiences that he had i never tried to get from him an account of 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 that and it was it, it felt strange to me that i didn't but i think it was an indication of uh, distance between us
0: your your father was um, in this desert prison Al Fajr for two months in the mid nineteen fifties. Um, what were the reasons for his imprisonment?
1: Uh, after the, the nineteen fifty seven, uh, there was the uh, elections in Jordan, and and he joined the elections and 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 lost. But he thought that there were forgeries, and then there was the uh, in in Iraq a coup d'etat and uh, against Faisal II. And Jordan was afraid that there would be a similar coup d'etat in Jordan. And so they arrested all the leaders of the, you know, the nationalist leaders, including my father, and put them in prison in, in Jaffer. And he stayed there for two months.
0: And your father had already uh, taken on uh, cases that were quite controversial in Jordan. He uh, defended the men who were accused of um, assassinating King Abdullah. So, I mean, he had been very uh, outspoken and uh, daring in the cases that he chose.
1: Yes, and of course, the beginning of that uh, uh, distance from the Jordanian was when he went to the Jericho conference in 49, and he uh, told the conference, which was supposed to uh, support Jordan in its effort to annex the West Bank, he said, we we have to have it must be conditional uh, annexation and conditional upon uh, fighting for Arab rights and and uh, and as soon as possible return of the refugees and then King Abdullah said I don't I refuse your conditional uh, support and and from that point on my father was uh, had a black spot and and was persona non grata in Jordan and then he as you said defended the uh, murderers of the uh, those accused of the murder in the King Abdullah uh, murder, and he was successful in, in, uh, in releasing uh, three of them.
0: It was really only years later, after 1967, when you visited uh, Java for the first time, um, and I think uh, met one of your father's former associates, the, a judge in, in, in Nazareth, that you realized um, how persecuted your father felt in Jordan. He began to speak openly in ways that you'd never heard him.
1: Yes that's true and and I uh, and all, all these revelations about how, what my father felt came in in spurts as it, as it, as it, as it were because my father never sat down and and told me these things and uh, I wondered now why is it that he didn't and and why uh, why didn't I ask but uh, I realized that he was persecuted in Jordan yes and and he had a very hard time to cope with the Jordanian regime and he was discriminated against and he never submitted. He kept on fighting for what he thought was right.
0: Now, um, in 1967, Israel uh, conquered the West Bank and the Gaza Strip, East Jerusalem. And paradoxically, your father seems to have had a kind of renewal at that time because he felt or hoped that Israel's occupation might actually be an opportunity to finally resolve the Palestinian question he began to have meetings with uh, Israelis I, I believe that he uh, met with David Kimchi of of uh, of Mossad a day before the ceasefire and put forward a two-state peace proposal Kimchi confirmed that there was broad support for an agreement with Israel rather than a return to Jordan and urged the government to declare a Palestinian state on the West Bank in 48 hours. Now, as we know, this this did not happen. Um, I'm I'm getting this from a a very interesting book uh, that discusses your father's work, uh, Avi Raz's The Bride and the Dowry, which I uh, reviewed for the LRB back in 2012. Can you talk a bit about your discoveries of your father's activism in Ramallah in the late 1960s after the occupation began.
1: Yes, before I realized the facts and and read the papers that were in this cabinet that I finally opened, I had been a recipient of the negative aspects of my father's policies and and all the suffering that he went through, and I felt the suffering myself that uh, that he was feeling. But then when I read the papers, I realized that he had been uh, very active and he realized that the Palestinians had suffered all along for not having a state and that uh, without a state, they couldn't fight for their rights. And and that in 1947, uh, the UN had uh, declared two states, one for the Jews and one for the Palestinians. And he thought that it was time to get the world community and and Israel and everybody else to recognize the Palestinian state. And from there, we can go on to uh, fight other battles, and and that I think was uh, uh, the sum of thoughts that he had from all along, which uh, uh, he put together in, in in that document. And he drew up uh, uh, this document in which he called for a Palestinian state and got fifty Palestinian leaders throughout from throughout the West Bank and Gaza to sign it. And th- that document was presented to the Israeli government, and. Uh, of course, as we know, the Israeli government did not accept it, and, and neither did the Palestinian PLO because they thought it was uh, uh, it would detract from the struggle for the, of the Palestinians to uh, uh, get uh, recognition for the PLO.
0: Now you recount a, a, a really, I think, revealing uh, anecdote um, about your father in 1969 when he uh, met. Uh, for the second time, Eliyahu Sassoon, the, the man who had uh, made those very blunt remarks about, the, about, the, about might is right in, uh, in Lausanne. Sassoon uh, approached your father and uh, an associate of his, Nimr Harari, and basically told them that um, he could give them a letter— and that would allow them to uh, return to their homes in what had now become Israel. Hawari took up the offer and became a judge in Nazareth. Uh, but your father, I think it's a, a remarkable illustration of his integrity, refused because he wasn't interested in an individual solution to what was a collective problem.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. He, he was not fighting for his own return. He was fighting for the return of all the refugees and and. To have an opportunity to return himself uh, was not what he wanted. He wanted a return for all the refugees, so he didn't accept, uh, take up the offer at all. This is the LRB podcast. If you enjoy listening to it, you'll probably enjoy reading The London Review of Books. To subscribe from just £1 per issue go to lrb.me forward slash listen. That's lrb.me forward slash listen. Or click on the link below.
0: Now, at at the time that, you know, your father was um, active in the uh, late 1960s and early 70s, law uh, was not really considered um, a primary instrument a weapon of the weak uh, for the, for the Palestinians in the way that it became after uh, you founded al-Haq in the late 1970s this was the period of the uh, emergence of uh, the PLO the uh, celebration of of the fedayeen and of and of armed struggle at one point um, you, you write that um, you kind of wondered about um, what your father was up to given that people were rallying to the armed struggle now in the literature on the Nakba and the Palestinian struggle after 67, there's a common theme, which is the, uh, the anger that young people and especially young men directed at their parents for failing to defend Palestine. And it's a, it's a theme one encounters, for example, in the fiction of Ghassan Kanafani or, or indeed in the biography of Edward Said. I sense that you felt some of this anger when you were a young man and, and perhaps some shame that your father had pursued legal means of opposing israel's conquests at a time when younger Palestinians were flocking uh to the p l o
1: that's true that that is absolutely true. I did feel all of that and and my father was such a rationalist that he looked at this case and and thought that it is futile to try and defeat Israel through armed struggle because the most that can be done would be to return to the uh, uh borders of 1967 and so why waste uh, at, uh, time and, and uh, effort in something that could be done through negotiations and diplomacy and, and he also realized that time was not, of the, not in favor of the Palestinians because Israel was in control of the territories and as a, as, as a power in control it had the ability to change these territories to its own inter- interests and in its own ways and so he wrote in 1970 history repeats itself an article in which he t- titled history repeats itself and there he said israel was going to create facts on the ground and these facts would become so overwhelming and so powerful that at the, later on it, israel would say this is where we are now and we have to accept, you have to accept the facts and go on from there and this is exactly what has happened now all these facts on the ground have been Greatest obstacle for peace, and they created them in Israel from the early on, as my father had had predicted.
0: I mean, you write in in your book that when you were in your twenties um, and you looked at your father, and I'm quoting, "I blamed the victim, whether for his banishment from the country, his stay in Al Jaffa, the prison in Jordan, or his failure in his political endeavors," and yet you ended up you know, in many ways, repeating the example of your father by founding al-Haq and and focusing on the law in the Palestinian struggle. Do you think that on some level, you had been persuaded by your father, even as you warred against him emotionally? I mean, had you been converted to his model of struggle?
1: Absolutely. I think I got my sense of uh, the failure of the Palestinians is a personal failure of mine. From him, and and my sense that one has to d- do one's best for the public good from him, and so I uh, did everything I could in order to uh, work for uh, changing the the uh, for fighting legal battle, and and not allowing myself to feel that it's going to be a failure, and then and then the big shock came after Oslo when I saw that all the work that I had done had uh, gone to nothing really. Uh, because uh, the Palestinian uh, had negotiated the Oslo without any uh, attempts at seeing what is on the ground and what, what, what the legal changes have been and how to stop them and how to re- reverse them. And that was exactly what happened to my father in in the past. And I felt that we have been in a similar situation. and And yet I had a way out because I had my writing and I didn't allow myself to feel despair as, as he felt after uh, his efforts failed at establishing a Palestinian state.
0: Your, your father uh, was killed in 1985. At the time, the Israeli government claimed that he had been killed by a man who um, had been sent by a Palestinian organization to... Uh, eliminate someone who had supported um, uh, peaceful negotiations. But in your own inquiries into this, you discovered that, in fact, that story was not true. Uh,
1: It was very convenient for Israel to to claim that here is the uh, PLO, which doesn't want peace with Israel, killing another person who uh, called for peace with Israel. So they held on to that story when they knew that it wasn't true. And when they knew that the uh, killer was somebody who uh, had been uh, uh, collaborator with Israel and 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 they suppressed that fact and didn't pursue the investigation against him and kept on distracting us by showing that they had been investigating other uh, possibilities and other possibilities and other possibilities and finally last year i decided i want to use the freedom of information act and and find out about the investigation that Israel had carried out. And I asked uh, my friend, uh, Michael Strad, an Israeli lawyer, to uh, to look into the matter. And he has been trying since uh, the beginning of the year now to, to do this. And uh, until now, Israel has said that they will not allow uh, him to see the investigations and that uh, it is not going to be uh, possible to see the investigation. And now he's thinking of, possibly taking a case in the high court to to try and force the uh, opening of these files. But uh, it's obviously that they have something to hide. And that is why they're not allowing us to see the investigations or the lack of investigation.
0: Now, two years after your father's murder, the the first intifada broke out and uh, you became very involved um, in your work um, in, in al Haq. Uh, representing uh, uh, Palestinians in a, a variety of legal settings, do you think that your father's understanding of the significance of the law in the Palestinian struggle is more widely accepted today, or do you think that uh, the the national movement continues to minimize or even disregard the law?
1: Well, now there, there is a change, of course, in 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 the attitude to the law because now they have realized that uh, it's important to uh, use the law and, and uh, for example, they're trying to use it for uh, going to the International Criminal Court. And, and that is a very important step. But the important time when, when, when the law should have been used was during the negotiations in the Oslo. And, and that was when they failed to use the law and, and allowed Israel to get away with all the changes in the, that carried out in the, to the laws in, in the occupied territories. And there was no real attempt at at reversing these and and revoking them. And so uh, we we got stuck within the framework of the Oslo Accords and the possibilities for legal maneuvers within the framework are very limited. And yet there are still efforts at at using the law. But uh, anyway, it's too late, I think. And uh, the most promising development is the resort to the International Criminal Court, I think.
0: And what about your, your father's vision of a separate uh, Palestinian state and, and his belief that the best that Palestinians could achieve would be restoring their lands along the, uh, the, 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 the now vanished uh, Green Line? Do you think that that vision too has passed into history or do you think it still has currency?
1: Well, I think that uh, uh, the possibilities for separation, total separation now is is less likely and that we must find a way of living together in a land that is shared by both. But at the same time, I still believe that the first step should be the end of occupation. And without the end of occupation, we cannot move beyond it to drawing on a new vision of relationship between the two nations within the greater uh, Israel, greater uh, Palestine.
0: I I'm wondering whether you could talk a bit about your experience of writing this book because clearly it is a settling of accounts with your father certainly but also with your own work um as a lawyer was this book in a sense a um a kind of exorcism for you
1: Yes it helped me a lot because I because uh, in writing the book I had to experience put myself in my father's shoes and experience his own experiences and, and go through them imaginatively. And so the book has two levels, the level of the, uh, my, my father's life and work and the level of the relationship and psychological relationships between me and my father. For example, when I uh, uh, wrote about the, uh, his experience in Jaffer, I had to take a trip and go to Jaffer and experience the area there and, and what it might have felt for him to be there and and things that I had not thought about at all before. And then when I realized that uh, the changes in the, uh, after six, 48, uh, how, how he must have felt, uh, I never, I never had given thought to how he must have felt after 48 and having lost everything and, and uh, tried to uh, make up a new life and uh, how the changes that occurred in the area on the landscape level had, uh, how how he must have reacted to them. And so I went through uh, his mind and imaginatively tried to re-experience his feelings and his experiences uh, during all these periods. And so this brought us closer than ever before together, I think. And uh, I at the end of writing the book, I felt I had become closer to him than I had ever felt before. And that was very important. So it was an act of love at the end of the day.
0: I've read about your father, of course, in your book and also, you know, Avi Raz's book. But um, what's not clear to me is how, how well known is Aziz Shahada today um, among Palestinians? Is his record of service as a, as a lawyer, as a human rights activist known to ordinary Palestinians?
1: Well, ordinary Palestinians have great respect for my father as a lawyer. Uh, So so often I would hear that the best lawyer uh, was Aziz Shahadi. And and that is repeated again and again and again amongst people in in, in the community. But uh, I think he has a negative, uh, uh, people have a negative feeling about him as far as his uh, call for the Palestinian state. And they do not realize that although now, everybody else is calling for a Palestinian state in the occupied territories. Uh, still, they, they have not yet come to terms with the fact that he had called for it uh, in sixty seven, and, uh, and, and that he, he had the foresight to, to see it then before everybody else. But, you know, I think also the fact is that uh, uh, in, in there, the PLO, I think, tried to mismatch uh, my father's reputation Because they were fighting their own battle and uh, they didn't give him his due. And and they uh, also uh, published uh, false information about him. And and, uh, even to the fact, even to the point that Arafat at one point said the Palestinian state is a joke. And they uh, called it treason. And and, uh, I mean, they had a case of trying to denounce my father. and, And that somehow has lasted. And, and the facts are not known about my father and his work. And I'm hoping that this book would help in, in, in getting people to know better about his work and, and, and his efforts for the Palestinians.
0: I mean, what, what's remarkable to me is that many of the uh, former uh, revolutionaries of the armed struggle were willing to uh, settle for a villa and a flag during the oslo years while your father the supposed moderate the the accused traitor remained utterly committed to his principles and to palestinian self-determination
1: that is true but then uh, it is the uh, the people who write the history are the people who are uh, in, pow- in power and and at this point the uh, pa is in power and it is writing history
0: you know I'm just wondering whether you might comment on the possible return of of, of Benjamin Netanyahu to power in a coalition with uh, these far right forces, which uh, uh, all but want to establish a religious dictatorship um, in Israel, and and. Uh, I mean, this coalition includes people like Idemir Ben Gavir, who is an open advocate of pal- of transfer for the Palestinian population.
1: Yes, I would like to comment because it, it, the whole thing reminded me of exactly what my father had said, and uh, my father had uh, uh, said that uh, the, we we would win when we both win, and and obviously what happened in Israel is that uh, uh, the. Right-wing and the fascists are returning to Israel or are, are taking over Israel, and and that is a, a great defeat for Israeli society. And so, uh, after 50 years of 54 years of occupation, it is almost predictable that this would have been what happened because Israel refused to make peace with the Palestinians, and and the refusal to make peace with the Palestinians has encouraged the uh, the right wing and the uh, extremists in in their society, and and the result is where we are now, and and that is why it the defeat of uh, the, the only victory for for, for uh, is the victory for both of us.
0: Listen, uh, Raja, thank you. Um, really appreciate your 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 speaking to me. This was really a pleasure. Thank you, Adam. You've been listening to the LRB podcast. I'm Adam Schatz, and I've been talking to the Palestinian writer Raj Shahada about his new memoir. Raj's work can be read on the LRB archive. The LRB podcast is produced by Anthony Wilkes. The music is by Kieran Brunt. Thanks for joining us.